0: About a month ago, we're sitting in here, and and I love the praise and worship time. There's something about coming together and corporately just putting the week away and uniting our voices, uniting our hearts, and and just worshiping God, just ascribing greatness to God for a time, And, and the week just goes away. And you have to think that, you know, you talk about in the, the, the Old Testament with the sacrifices, how the aroma would lift up to God and that was a pleasing aroma to Him. And how our worship is to be that same pleasing aroma. when We come and our hearts are just prepared to say, Alright, weak is going to stay there. I am here to just ascribe greatness. Just worship God. And I just love that. First Corinthians, we're in chapter 11. It's verse 10 just right away jumps right there and says, you know what? Your corporate worship is special. In fact, it's so special that the angels attend. They're in your presence. And so while I'm sitting back there singing, and and I'm a visual kind of guy, so... As I'm sitting back there singing, I, I can just, you know, I always I'm visioning the throne and, and, and the people. When we sing, holy, 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 you have all these people, just multitudes in front of the throne, just bowing down and, and worshiping God. And, and, and I just get all filled up and, and walk across the aisle and bump into people. And, but I just love that time. And now, being visual, as you're going, you're just thinking, wow, you know the angels are here. You know, th- there's a dimension. There, there's, there's something special to corporate worship. When we all stand up together, we sit down together, our voices are united. And God is glorified when our voices just lift up to him. And so, I'm going to skip over verse 10 now that I've done it here at the beginning. Because because I don't see how it all really fit together. But that that verse, as, I, as I'm worshiping God, Just it's, it's just a nice visual to remember that God is. Is present here. Now, this section, again, we we teach here at Windsor Community Church, we teach all the way through a book, and right now we're in 1 Corinthians, we're in chapter 11. And chapter 11 is a pivotal place in Corinthians. It's a pivotal place because, first, we're talking about personal responsibility in the first 10 chapters. But now we're going to switch gears in chapters 11 through 14, and we're going to talk about exactly this. We're going to talk about corporate worship. What does it look like when you're all together? And if you have an NIV or you have subtitles on your passages, it probably says something like propriety in worship when you're together. And so this chapter 11 is a pivoting point in Corinthians, and it's tremendously rich. We'll start right away with verse 2. Let's pray first. Jesus, we do want to be a sweet aroma to you. God, we want to come here with our our whole selves and we are just ready to give ourselves to you. God, would you accept us? Would you be here and teach us this morning? God, those things that we did bring in the week that keep us separated from you and Those contentions or those arguments we had on the way here. God, would you let those fall away and just be here and speak to us through your word. Show us your character. Show us your grace. Amen. Verse 2. Now, I praise you, brothers, because... You remember me in everything and hold firmly to the, to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Now, as I was reading this, I'm sitting here thinking, all right, I've been studying 1 Corinthians with everybody else through the last however many months. And I think Paul forgot what Corinthians is about. Because Corinthians is not about, I praise you for holding firmly. It's... He's spanking the saints. And, and I, I got these cards. I got these cards because I'm, I'm having to restructure the way I've, I've learned some of the Bible. And, and these cards give me all the major themes of every book in the Bible. There's 66 of them. And if you ask me any book of the Bible, I can tell you the theme and I can tell you what it's about. So that when, I'm, when we're working through things, if I'm, if I'm listening to somebody, I can say, oh, I know where in the Bible that is. I know what God says about that. And I can turn you to it and show you what that is. And these are really important. And you know what it says for 1 Corinthians? Well, you do now because you saw it up there. It says spanking the saints. That's what 1 Corinthians is about. Now, Paul didn't have these cards. And so I think he didn't know when he wrote this verse what 1 Corinthians was about. And if we go back through the first ten chapters, this is what we see in 1 Corinthians. We see chapter 1. Quarreling. In fact, we see quarreling over and over and over again. Chapter two, intellectual arrogance. They're 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 learning all this stuff and they have all this philosophy and this philosophy makes them who they are and, and they have all this intellectual arrogance. In chapter three we have more jealousy with quarreling and, and chapter four some really bad uh some people have become arrogant. Chapter five, bad immorality, more in five, boasting. In six we have one brother taking another brother to court. Does this sound like holding firmly to we go on, chapter six also, uniting, uniting with prostitutes. Uh, eight, your knowledge destroying the weaker brother, and then ten, we have the eclectic worship that we talked about the last couple of weeks. They'd go to their pagan temples and then come and they'd come worship in the, the house of God, and then they'd go home and dust their idols. Right? I, I praise you for holding firmly to the traditions, just as I've handed them down to you. So I was a little confused about this. And if we go to the next step, we have we have looking forward, chapters 11 through 14, this next section we're going to go in. We have, coming up today, this gender confusion when they come in. Some are, the men are acting not like men and the women are acting not like women. And, and beyond that, they're being contentious about God's order then we go to the lord's supper later in chapter 17 and we see that they're they're coming to this feast and you can you just imagine it is as, as one person walks down the aisle to take communion they just take the whole loaf of bread and say <laughs> and just eat the whole thing it is gluttony when they're doing the lord's supper but he says i praise you for holding firmly and in chapter 12 we go on and we see that they're going to start using their spiritual gifts and just to puff themselves up and then 14, more worldly worship issues. I mean, it's just one thing after another. And so I'm sitting here in the coffee shop because I'd like to sit in the coffee shop. And I'm just thinking through this. How is Paul just blowing smoke at them? It's, it just sounds contradictory because you have all of these things that Paul's talking about. And right in the middle of it, you have this verse that says, I praise you. Well, here's all the commentary say. They say, you know what? There's nothing wrong with the corinthians theology what paul is pointing out is there's a strength here Every one of them could quote their mission statement. They know all of their core values They could stand right up and just rattle them off to you. They've all taken essentials class The problem is their morality. They they can't take those things that they know And actually live them out when they think they can go worship in the house of god and go home and dust their little idol something hasn't made the transition And so Paul's correcting their morality and saying, we need to take what you know and move it forward. So I'm sitting here contemplating this. And this is how let me just tell you how God works, because I I'm just digging through this in my mind, trying to figure out how do you how do you use this as a pivotal statement in this, you know, between the verses or the chapters one through 10 and 11 through 14 and in walks Pastor Hardy. Now, I don't know how many of you ever seen Pastor Hardy in the morning. But he comes running in, he's all sweaty and he sits down, he says, I saw your car up there. He said, I I was over bench pressing and sorry. Okay. He wasn't really doing that, but he had just been working out and I was listening to this CD. And in this CD, he said it just was so meaningful. Look, look at this verse. And he, he takes me over to First Thessalonians. And we read that. And, and then he starts quoting all these other ones where Paul, over and over again, is saying things like, Oh, when I pray for you, I just thank God over and over and over in my prayers. And how it's Paul's heart continually to be pointing out places where people are growing. And those those places where, yeah, your theology is strong, you are holding on to it. Yeah, there's some morality issues and we're going to we're going to talk through those. But he's pointing out these evidences of grace. He was listening to this CD from C.J. Mulhaney. And as I'm sitting here listening to him, I just thought, wow, I'm so not wired this way. What I do for a living, I, I find mistakes. That's my whole life. I just I sit in a chair and I find mistakes. And I'm very wired to just find mistakes. And that transfers itself in when I'm working, talking to people that I I look and I go, there's a bug we got to fix. And I'm just wired that way. And and so when he came in, that was the problem. As I was trying to interpret this verse and see how it connected, I'm so tied into what the problems in the Corinthian church are. I wasn't seeing what Paul's real heart is here. And this quote from, from C.J. Mulhaney says this, Be more aware of evidences of grace than areas of needed growth in the lives of people that we serve. How many of us fall into that category of what well, we see? And, and don't get me wrong. There's a place for exhortation. There's a place where we have to, we have to shave each other and, and, and work through problems. But we also need to be very aware That grace is evident. This person is growing in the Lord. And the two ways, there's there's two things up there that'll help us to do that. Just remembering that, you know, we're not in heaven yet. We're still in a fallen world. And people are growing. People are growing. And so what Paul's doing here is he's pointing out there is evidence of grace in the Corinthian church. You are believers. God is working among you. I praise you for holding to the traditions just as I pass them down to you. Great job. And then comes the contrasting conjunction. But this is a textbook passage for learning how to do inductive Bible study. We even went through it in Flock this last week because there's there's some really interesting elements in this passage. There's a lot of culture there's a lot of culture, in, and so what we have to do is find a way to take this passage, divide out the culture, have the, the nugget of truth that God wants to teach us, and then reapply it to 2007. Now, you have to do that in every passage. Right? Whenever we, you study and study and you're going to teach, you have to go through this process. You've got to dig and figure out what the culture is, pull out the nuggets of truth, and then, and then reapply it to where we are today. And so this is, this is a textbook passage for this. Let's read it. First Corinthians, chapter 11, verses three through 16. But there's that contrasting conjunction. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man, for man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also man has his birth. Through the woman and all things originate from God. Judge for yourself. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practices, nor have the churches of God. Okay. So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to step through this, and we're going to take it apart piece by piece. We're going to take out the context. We're going to take out the history. We're going to take all the pieces out, come up with the truth, and then try and reapply it. Okay? So the first step there is what did it mean to the people who heard it? A great cliche to remember is the Bible was written for us. But not to us, right? It was written to this letter was written to the Corinthians in a specific time, in a specific culture, a specific social setting. And so as we interpret exactly what Paul was trying to say, we need to interpret it through the lens of what he was trying to say to the Corinthians. Historically, what do we have? We have heard this over and over and over again through First Corinthians in Corinth is this vast array of pagan worship. You have temples wherever, and some of, the, some of the worship practices that go on in these pagan temples are a little mind-boggling. We don't have pagan temples around Windsor now, and so you, you don't really get a flavor for going in and, and worshiping with a prostitute. You, you just don't do that. And so in our culture, it, this isn't something that we just right away understand. Uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't expect a man to to come in from from outside and just became a believer and he's all excited and and he did everything in his power to make the neatest fanciest hairdo and come and sit down and and look exactly like one of the temple prostitutes like a woman from one of the pagan temples. We just wouldn't expect that here, right? But that's what's that's that's exactly what went on in, in Corinth. In Corinth, what you have is these pagans are getting saved. right? They're on the street and they're looking into the, the church of God and they're going, wow, they have the answer. And as they do that, they're bringing in those pagan influences into the church. Well, that's what you would expect. right? God never said to anyone, uh, excuse me, get yourself right and make sure that you're perfectly holy before you come into church because I won't have you come in here. Right? God never said that. He said, get yourself saved. Come to me. And then let me work on you and sanctify you and make you like Christ. And so it's exactly what you would expect. Right? You would expect these people are getting saved, they're excited, they come in and they don't know any better. And so they come into the church and a man stands up to pray and you look over at him and he's got a veil on his head. We've got to write Paul a letter. What are we supposed to do about this? Right? They didn't know. They didn't know, but this is the, those, these are the things that are happening. And also, so we have that, and we have, again, these people getting saved, and, and, and these ladies are coming in, and, and, and their heads are shaved, and they got t-shirts that say, Down with men! So, something where, because they're, they're totally separatists, they're, they're having to separate themselves from the entire male, male culture. Remember, we have Athena in Corinth. So we have this, this different feminist kind of uh, direction in the Corinthian church, that's very unhealthy. It isn't just that we have, you know, good professional ladies that are coming into the body. We have, can I use the word, activists, right? They have the big banner on their chest that says, no, 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 no men. And so they bring that shirt into church because that's what they wear out there. That's what they wear here, right? They bring that influence in. That's what you would expect. In fact, that's, Hold it on for a second. That's what you want. Right? If everybody just thinks, oh man, I'm going to go to church. What do I have to do? You know, I don't have pants that are fancy enough. Or I don't have... If that's the case, your church has put on the wrong aura outside the walls. If people think they've got to be a certain way before they can come and be accepted and be loved and, and learn about God's Word, something has gone very wrong. That's what you want. So culturally, he's speaking to some issues there. All right, grammatically, what are we going to do with the grammar? When we look at the verses, what do we have to We have to pull out the very important words. In this, in this passage, the word head shines. I don't know. I should have counted how many times it's being used. I, I'm sure some of you statisticians out there have already counted them. But this word is used over and over and over and over again. And so we need to know what does it mean? Does the word mean or origin like the head of the line, like headwaters? Does it mean authority like head of the like authority or (laughs) there's there's Yeah, there's so many different things that this word could mean. And it's important that we know which one or. Oh, yeah. And it could also just mean this thing that I have hair on that. Some of you don't have so much hair on. So it could mean just physical head. What does it mean? Or does it change meaning as it goes? And it's very important that we know what the word head means all the way through here. And when we look at verse 3, in verse 3 we say, okay, we have Christ is the head of every man. That could be origin because Christ is the originator of life. It also could mean authority. All right? The man is the head of a woman, well, that could mean Adam and Eve, and so man is the origin of woman. could mean that. could also mean authority. But notice these are commas in here. These are three clauses hooked together. And the last one says, God is the head of Christ. Can the word head there mean origin? Is God the originator of Christ? Like they shared up here during worship time this morning. Christ always was. If it actually meant origin, we'd have to change John 1 to say, in almost the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. But that's not what it says. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Right? Christ was in the beginning. God and Christ are one in essence. There's no, uh, God was first and God is always, but just after God, something he created, Jesus. No, no, that's not it. So the word head here means authority. It means authority. It can't mean anything else. Praying or prophesying. Now this one's going to get us off on a tangent, and so I'm just going to mention it because it's an important piece here. Because if you were to go and read some things you're going to come across this because it causes a little bit of conflict. We are talking about public worship. That's what this next four-chapter segment is about. But Paul says, if a woman prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, it disgraces her head. Well, if we're talking about public worship, and the word prophesy" when we use the word prophesy today, it means preaching. It means taking the word of God and delivering it to people that's how we use the word prophecy now and so how do you deal with this this conflict if, if that if that word prophecy means the same thing now as it did then. Paul doesn't say it disgraces you. He doesn't say don't do that because later other places when we cross reference this, we say women are not to be preaching in this context. And this is this is not our We have all kinds of passages that give us that. So it's not something that we can be confused about. So now we have a conflict. We have to deal with that. Here's how we deal with it. This is the early church. And as soon as we step into chapter 12, it makes it very clear Chapter 12, we have we have the spiritual gifts. We have people speaking in tongues. We have people prophesying. And in this case, what it means is exactly what it meant in the very beginning of the church. We don't have the canonized scripture. We have people speaking forth directly from God. God conduits what he wants to say to his people directly through people. And so in a worship service, it says people that are prophesying one or two at most And then when they do that, we need to stop and let the others then judge. The other prophets need to judge that prophecy to say, was that from God? So we have a different element here that we have to be careful of in the early church where people, we didn't have the Bible to open up and say, this is God's word and this is what it says. They didn't have that yet. And so God would speak to different people and people then would present what God had to tell them. And then they would pass judgment on that. And so the word prophecy here is different than what we would use it today. Very careful with that. All right. Next, we have the contextual pieces. What context is Paul speaking to the broad context? We've already said this a couple of times is that he's speaking to issues that are happening in in corporate worship when they're gathering together. And we've mentioned this also that the men were coming in and, and they're wearing these head. They're bringing in these these outside influences into the church. And he's addressing these and saying, no, that's not proper. This is not the way God would have this done. And so let's work through that. And the women were not wearing the head coverings. Now, in that culture, then, when, when a woman would not wear a head covering, it would mean she's essentially saying, I am not going to be in submission whatsoever. I don't have a submissive spirit. And so when she comes into the church, today you wouldn't see that. If you saw a lady walk in without a head covering, you don't go... Oh, no, you don't say that because it, it, it's a cultural thing, hey, but, but that's a, a contextual piece that he's speaking to in literary. This is doctrinal. Now, this matters because if it's say it's a, a poem or it's a parable or it's a narrative, it's going to depend on how you actually interpret the passage. Are there words in here that are allegorical, that they mean something different? That's not the case here. The words mean what the words mean. This is doctrine. He's spelling it out directly to us. Right, so now that we have this, you've just, you've just done about three weeks worth of study in uh, 15 minutes. And what we need to do now is we need to take this passage and divide out the culture. Which aspects of this passage are cultural so we can get at that nugget. So the theological statement. This means what is the timeless truth that it doesn't matter what generation reads this. doesn't matter what the cultural stance is. What does God want us to take away? Authority and submission are part of God's character. And thus is part of our created order. And this is to be reflected by Christian men and women, especially when they gather to worship. Now, I would add a little piece to that and say it's really to be reflected by everyone, especially by the Christians. It brings God glory when we come together and do it his way. We can come together and do it our way. We can come together and decide that we're going to worship the way we want to worship and we're going to change the word to say what we want it to say. And look, we're coming, we're being spiritual, we're loving each other. We can do that. And we read through the minor prophets over and over and over. And it says, you know what? I don't want your stinky sacrifices. Why don't you just stay home? If you're not going to do it my way, when you know what my way is, you don't want to submit to me and you don't want to submit to this. Stay home. That's what the minor prophets tell us over and over and over again. It brings God glory when we submit that to Him. Now, how do I come at this? How do I know that this is part of God's character? We look at verse three, and God is the head of Christ. And we talked about that just a little bit. God is the head of Christ. When it says God is the head of Christ, any of us that have been to Sunday school, we learn this one thing. Christ is God. We sing in Christmas time all the time, we sing Emmanuel, and we hear this big word, and, and it took me a long time to even know what this word meant. Emmanuel is God with us, right? It's, it's, we see it in Philippians 2. We see where Christ is with God from the beginning, but he humbled himself. He gave up. We sang about that this morning. He gave up his riches in heaven to come to earth, put on a man suit, and walk around and show us the exact representation of God, as it says in Hebrews. Christ is the exact representation of God. But yet here it says the head of Christ is God. Now, in Corinthians, there's no problems with this because the Corinthians didn't hear the word head or think authority and automatically consider worth. We, in a corporate America, he who has a higher job, he who has more authority also gets more money. You're worth more. And so we automatically have this this concept that the more authority you have, the more worth you have. And I have a hard time even breaking this as I read through the commentaries and it says, oh, the ancients didn't think this way. I think to myself, how could they not think this way? I'm not even capable of not thinking that way. And so we bring a lot of baggage into this passage because that is the way we think. When we think authority, we think worth when we think break in the th- when we think this person has authority over this person, we also say these two are not equal. One is better than the other. one is worth more than the other. And we just do this naturally. We are good Americans. But Paul was very careful. God was very careful to put this passage, this verse three, together in such a way that you can't break man is the head of a woman. God is the head of Christ. You can't break those apart. So just as just as between the the character of God shows us that there is this authority in the Godhead where all the way John four, five and six over and over and over. John writes to us that Christ submitted his will to the father. He says, I do nothing on my own accord. Nothing. I'm only here to do what the father tells me to do. But Christ is fully God. One in essence. Equality. But we see there that it's reflected, this, this authority and submission is reflected in the Trinity. It can't be broken. For men and women, then, this is to be reflected in men and women. Now, this is not a message on how to lead and how to be submissive. It's, it's not a message about that. It's simply saying that it needs to be done when we're here. It needs to be done. We need to be following God's order as Christians. And so I did put some verses up there. If you want to go through and study what it actually means as a husband to lead. How to love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for him over and over and over. It's there. If we have a struggle with equality in the church, uh, that Galatians verse there says, you know what? In Christ, there is no man. There is no woman. There's no slave, no free, no Gentile, no Greek, nothing. All of us are equal in Christ. All of us have to do the same thing. We have to submit our will to Christ And grow and are accountable to him. So there's some passages there for your further study. So what is the application of this? How do we take this and apply it? Well, there's going to be three places here. First, let's talk about everyone. How does just a normal person apply this statement? That there is order in the universe. God has created authority and submission. It's part of who he is and therefore it's part of who we are. What do we do with that? No matter what generation you're in, whether you're in the Corinthians, whether you're back from when Abraham came about, any generation, everybody has to respond to God the same way. By faith. Everybody. It doesn't matter who you are or where you were born. God demands one thing. That you submit your will to Him. Your dreams, your desires, Who you are, what you're good at, what you're bad at, what you're terrible at, if we go all the way. Take all of that and say, God, I trust you with all of that. Now do with me as you will. Everybody has got to submit their will. That is the definition of a Christian. And I told you I was reading through the... I'm going through the Minor Prophets because the Minor Prophets have always confused me. And so I'm reading through them over and over and over to get a, a feel for, you know, where's God's character through the Minor Prophets? And one thing I keep coming up with is this odd statement. Or, yeah. That God would ruin their fields, hold back the rain, kill their animals, make them sick, put holes in their clothes keep food away from them over and over and over and then he said just so you would come back to me but you wouldn't so now i have to drive you into exile next prophet same thing i have to ruin your fields i have to do all these things to you because i want you to come back to me i want you to submit your will to me as i was Preparing, I I was online looking at different illustrations and I came across this story. And some of you that are horse people tell me later if this isn't really true. But I I watched it. I saw a video. So it's got to be true. It was on the Internet. And so. So there's this there's this arena and a lady is sitting on a chair in the middle of the arena. And this guy has a whip and they let this horse go in there. And every time this horse goes somewhere, this guy is just Whack. And the horse starts running to the next spot. Whacking, this horse is just totally tripping out, running all over the arena, trying to get away from that whip. But nowhere that it went was there any safety. Nowhere that it went would it know what was going on with its life. And he's just whipping and And as soon as that horse would go by the lady, everything would get still. But then he step away and all of a sudden this chaos starts again. Whip, whip, whip. And eventually that horse comes and sticks its nuzzle right in that lady's lap and never moves. And when the guy started talking, he said, that's because the horse knows now where safety is. The horse knows where its leadership is. And that's what the horse wants. I'm not a horse person and Dean's not here to laugh at me. So I can say that. But then the. The woman stands up and starts walking around and that horse just follows that lady like, oh, this is this is safety. This is where I was meant to be. No matter what I'm with it, a whip stops. Now, right away, you're, you should be getting the picture. That's the minor prophets. God's saying, look, I'm going to create this calamity everywhere until you come to me. Because I want you to know, brothers, I want you to know, people, that I am where your leadership is. I am where your safety is. And everywhere else, you're just going to find destruction. And he keeps that up. Everybody's got to submit their will to him. What about for men? What is God's desire for you? God's desire, men, is that you lead. Christ is the head of every man. That's the everyone. Man is the head of a woman. He's speaking to you directly. You know, if we look through this here, there's there's numerous statements about the man in this passage. It is God's desire that you lead. Now, what does that look like? As I was growing up, I was handed a package of masculinity that was wrong. And... I got married and I still had this package of masculinity that was wrong. I, I grew up. I was. I don't, some of you are army brats and I grew up on a military base. And so you're either a tough guy or you're nothing. And so I knew I had to be a tough guy. But the problem was I wasn't a tough guy. <laughs> and so I kind of receded into this faking it. I'm a want to be tough guy. And that's as bad as you can get. But so then I'm, I'm totally confused about what it meant to be a man. And. I was 18 or 19, probably before I met my first, oh, that is a man. I had just become a Christian. God moved me to this funny place. And I got to see what real masculinity was. I saw what it meant to love your wife. I saw what it meant to love your God, work hard. And so many of us in the church now come from these environments where You don't, you just, you, like me, either either didn't get a package at all and have no idea, or you were handed the wrong package. But one of the things that I'm so blessed with being here, there's men in this body that have been saved longer than I've been alive. And God's been working on you and, and sanctifying you and showing you what this means. And you need to know that We're looking at you. We watch you. Because we want to know what that looks like. What does it look like to love your wife? That's one of those blessings about being in a church. We get to see other believers acting out their faith and seeing how they're loving their wives and how they're leading their children and how they're leading at home. We watch you intently. Your kids are watching you. Those of you that have this canned and really do understand masculinity... Watch for those of us who are, that are maybe struggling a little bit. Take us under your wing. Because that's discipleship. Man, we got to train each other. Because there's a battle. We really do need to be point men in our families. God's will is that you lead in your homes and that you're unmistakably men. And you don't learn that from the world. Women one of my biggest questions in this in this study was what is the head covering what is it we, culturally we don't have head coverings anymore but yet the truth says you need to have a sign of authority we need to people need to know that you are in submission to your husband what does that look like and when we talked about this in flock with just some great ideas one of them was When I'm in public, I'm praising my husband. I'm not cutting him down. And when I talk about him, it's obvious that that I have a submissive spirit. Another was, it's just the meaning of a noble woman. What does it mean to be noble? And again, in our body, I am so encouraged that we have those examples here. Again, we look back at the evidences of grace. Grace. And where we are in our body, there are so many women here, very professional there. We have every different kind of woman and every different kind of man in this body. But yet we have true men and we have true women. And I just love that as my kids grow up. They're going to grow up seeing what masculinity is and what femininity, what I should be looking for in a wife. The Proverbs 31 woman. right? And so that's what I leave you with, is thinking through, what are the head coverings? Men, just like those guys would bring their pagan thoughts into the building and they come in and it's time to pray or prophesy, they put this head covering on. Well, they got to take them off. What are the head coverings that we men got to take off? Where are the places that we need to shore up leading our family? Leading it at the business or leading here at the church. where are those things where, you know, passivity has taken over? Just give me the remote control and you deal with the kids. Right. Where has that taken over our life? Think of that as a head cover. We've got to take that off. All of us have them, even those that are just just excellent at the whole leadership. And oh, we all have things that we got to take off. Mine specifically is prayer. Right There will be times my wife is very sensitive to God and things will happen and she'll come to me and she'll say, we need to pray about this. And the hair goes up on the back of my neck. Oh, I knew that. I was getting to that. (sighs) Right. But but she lovingly encourages me that we need to pray for this. In fact, uh, really, you need to pray for this and brings me along. And and in the last months, I've been I've been softened to that. And I'm just so excited because my wife and I are just total compliments. And the sensitivity that she has is such a blessing to me. Because it's a place where I need to take off the head covering and lead in my family. Right? Women, where are the places that you need to put the head covering on? What is it for you? Where is it that you have the, the something? And I, I can't, I'm not a woman. I don't have a feminine bone in my body. And so I, I really can't speak too directly to that. But what does it look like for you to respect your husband? To have that submissive spirit. What does that look like? What's that head covering look like for you? And to end, evidence of grace. Let's remember, Paul started this by saying, I praise you. Praise you for those evidences that you do have. I praise you for what God is doing and working in your life. But, we all have places to work. Let's work on those. Let's pray. God, your word is magnificent. It really is a light to our path. In fact, God, your word, it gives us hope. It tells us who you are and it tells us who we seek. And Father, we are seeking you. And your word tells us that if we seek you, we're going to find you. God, would you give us a heart that is just hungry for righteousness. That's just hungry to be made into the image of your son. God, that we just wouldn't be ones that can chant the mission statement. But Lord, we really do desire intimacy with you. And we really do desire to have relationships where we can pour your love into other people's lives. God, would you make us those people? In Jesus' name, amen.